Welcome to the Next Level Soul podcast, where we ask the big questions about life. Why are we here? Is this all there is? What is my soul's mission? We attempt to answer those questions and more by bringing you raw and inspiring conversations with some of the most fascinating and thought-provoking guests on the planet today. I am your host, Alex Ferrari. I'm always looking to help the Next Level Soul audience take their soul to the next level. And I've been able to partner with Mind Valley to present you guys with a ton of free master classes between 60 and 90 minutes covering mind, body, soul, relationships, and conscious entrepreneurship. Some of these master classes are taught by spiritual masters, relationship experts, best selling authors, legends in the personal growth and spirituality space, and so much more. So if you want to sign up for any of our free mind, body, and soul masterclasses, just head over to nextlevelsoul.com forward slash free. We all have to face our own mortality, but some quicker than others. Today's guest is T.S. Damas. And T.S. developed an autoimmune disease from exposure to toxic chemicals while he was in the military. And one night, suffering a sudden heart failure, he died for 10 minutes. And yet, in that moment, he had a near-death experience and visited the other side, where he would learn a valuable lesson about himself, his life, his faith, and God. And while he was there, he also met Jesus, who had a special message for him. So, let's dive in. I'd like to welcome to the show, Brian Holen. How you doing, Brian? I'm good. How about you? I'm good, brother. Thank you so much for coming on the show and and sharing your uh, remarkable experience with uh, with the audience, man. So uh, my very first question to you, first of all, is what was your life like prior to your near-death experience? It was very worldly. I, uh, you know, I, I was just like most other people, I think. You know, I, I tried to be a good person. I had principles that I lived by. You know, I, I really believed in honor and integrity and, you know, treating people fairly. But while I did have faith, it wasn't geared towards God. It was geared towards what I expected, you know, from other people and how I tried to live my life, not just doing good simply because I cared about other people for the sake of God. So when I, when somebody, you know, for instance, if somebody kind of crossed me, you know, I, I'd be quick to, to defend myself and, mm-hmm. and forget about it. I'm not going to, I wasn't going to be stepped on. I wasn't going to be pushed around. So it was a kindness that came with, with, with a price tag. You know, there was, there was expectations that I, that I had of others. And if they didn't live up to them, I was you know, usually going to cut them off or not have anything to do with them. And so it was very much, you know, focused on my, my goals and my, my intentions, what was best for me. So that was kind of, you know, what my life was like. I, but I, I, I was what maybe most people would consider a good person. I, you know, I joined the military right out of high school because I, I care about people. I, I want to have, uh, you know, a safe world. I wanted to protect people, particularly Americans. I, you know, I, I love Americans. So that really was a strong draw for me. And as I went into the military, I was a military police officer because I thought, well, I can do even more good by, mm-hmm. by being a protector of the protectors. So that was something that really appealed to me. 
um, after you know the military, I got I got hurt when I was in the military. I was exposed to toxic chemicals, and that exposure caused me to develop autoimmune diseases. And those autoimmune diseases over time, and I'll kind of get to that as we go, but they ate away my organs, particularly Jesus. my heart. So it was, yeah, it was tough. It was really, it, 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 it but it was a slow decline. I, I had a very high level of physical fitness and ability. So, you know, I, I was able to excel while I was in the service until I got hurt. And then there was some deficiencies that were starting to become noticed. I'd, I'd have neurological and circulatory issues. So, you know, they started to detect some of those things in my physicals. And then, um, you know, I, I got out of the military and decided, well, I have to figure something else out. I, you know, I, I couldn't go on into law enforcement uh, in the private sector. So I decided to go back to school and I, I got a degree, a master's degree in psychology and started working in, in the field of psychology and counseling. And, you know, I, I really loved it. I, I worked at the VA, worked with combat veterans and specifically at the vet center. So it was a, it was a great fit for me. But, you know, politically, I, I had some issues the way that they you know, were running things. They weren't really helping vets, particularly vets with suicide. The suicide rate was astronomical then, still was pretty astronomical, if you ask me. But mm -hmm. it's, they, they put a lot of limitations on what we're able to do to help other vets. And, you know, that it was heartbreaking. So it, it caused me to, to look for other options. And, you know, I, I do like to help people. So I, I took a job as a program director at the Department of Corrections, and I was able to help inmates. And, you know, that's, that's something that really appealed to me. I, I was able to do a lot of good there. And then I started working also in, in the private sector with recently uh, released offenders. And then I went into my, my first heart failure event. Well, so, so let me ask you, I mean, it seems to me that you always, even prior to your near death experience, I mean, you were a good guy. You're trying to do good in the world. I mean, you sure. weren't, yeah. I mean, you, you, you know, you went out after helping others. So it wasn't like you were, you know, a billionaire driving no. around and, and flying around in your private, just not that look, there's some spiritually enlightened people who do yeah. this. I'm just saying, but generally speaking, the fat cats of, of the world, as they say, the, the egocentric um, people in the world. You didn't seem to be that way, at least from the story that you're telling me. So it seems like you were looking for that. Even when you were in the military, um, you were trying to help. And let me ask you a question. In the military, um, was there any moments that you had spiritually enlightened moments while you were in the military? Because I've heard that from vets that, you know, not, I mean, near-death experiences, but just generally like seeing what you saw and things like that. And I, was there ever a moment you're like, hmm, there's something just clicked in you? Yeah, you know, there was one one instance. I I had started to kind of get away from faith when I was younger. You know, I, I, I'll have to admit it. I was a young man. I wanted to pursue my own goals. And, you know, sometimes having a faith in... in I start, that slows you, slows you down, brother. <laughs> it does. It, it, you know, I, I'm just going to have to be honest. It, it got in the way of some of the things I wanted to pursue because my conscience was getting to me. So I, I tried to get away from it. And I remember on one of the deployments, uh, a chaplain had given me a cross. He was giving them out to everybody. And I really didn't want to take this cross. And, you know, I, I tried to avoid it. And he, he said, just take it. Just, you know, just hold on to it. See if it says anything to you, you know, see, see what it what happens with it. And if you lose it, you lose it. So I did it. I, I took it and I put it on begrudgingly, you know, but I, I did it. And 
I ended up getting into a, a vehicle that was completely destroyed, except for the driver's seat where I was sitting. I mean, it was completely destroyed. There was really no explanation for why I was able to survive this simple pocket of the driver's seat. But the steering wheel was in, like smashed into my chest and it bent the cross. You know, I had, I was wearing the cross. I, I didn't even think about that. Uh, you know, I've, I've known about this story. I've thought about it at times, but I didn't think much of it. I just was like, this is weird. You know, this is, this is something that I didn't think that, you know, it necessarily stopped me, but I had a bruise from that cross. I didn't have so much of a bruise from the steering wheel, which was kind of odd. I, I always thought that, that was kind of weird, but I had a bruise on from that cross. And so, you know, it, it kind of stuck with me and they, you bring it up. So I was, that's kind of interesting, but I did find that I was starting to become more open to my faith because I never, I never gave up on the idea of Jesus. I couldn't shake Jesus from me. Sure. I, I've, I've always had a strong relationship with him, but I really wanted it on my terms. You know, I, <laughs> I wanted to believe that, you know, I could do whatever I wanted and he was always going to forgive me and, you know, maybe didn't even think I had to ask for forgiveness. I just kind of expected it, you know, kind of, you know, presumptive, I guess, on my part. The, a young man's mind. Oh, and yeah. the ego. Yeah. A, a young man's ego is like, oh, you know, I'm going to go, I'm going to go party Saturday night. Sunday I'll ask for forgiveness. <laughs> yeah. Maybe if I wake up in time, <laughs> if I wake up in time, not I'll get him next week. You yeah, know, that's, it's, right. that's, it, that's right. that is, uh, I, I was raised Christian. Uh, I was raised Catholic. And so I understand um, yeah. about it as well. It's that's the, that was the, you know, it's so interesting that you say that and it's difficult for people who don't understand that don't have our perspective of being young men who had some faith in them. Uh, but it just gets in the way of being a 20 something <laughs> wanting yeah. to go out and do stuff and wanting to go out and, you know, explore and, and, and do things that might not uh, be kosher, uh, right. you know, yeah, without accountability, without accountability. And then, and then, the, and then in the back of the head, the little devil, if you will, and you're just like, ah, don't worry, Sunday, you could just ask for forgiveness. Yeah. It'll, be all, it'll be all good. Yeah. So it's really, it's, that's really fascinating. That story with the cross is really, I've heard stories like that before. You know, I mean, we all seen the movie where the guy gets shot and it hits the little Bible and they're in there, you well, know, and he, yeah, yeah that the guy gave him a little Bible right. or a little cross or something like that. And they're like, Oh, the Jesus saved me. So we've heard those stories, but I never heard one that actually kind of happened in many ways. I don't think that cross yeah. saved your life, but oh. it definitely did. It was a message. <laughs> We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. Yeah, it got my attention. That, that, there's no doubt about it. It got my attention. It, you know, I, I, I didn't put a whole lot into it. Like you right. said, you know, I didn't think it saved my life by any means, but it definitely made me think about things, you know, and my, my lack of invincibility for one. You know, oh, not that that lasted long. I, I went right back to think, well, you know, I'm so tough. That's why I made it through this thing. And, you know, it's, <laughs> that's just kind of how I was. So, dude, man, the youth is definitely wasted on the young brother. I mean, there's no, <laughs> no question. Isn't it amazing when you're young, you just feel like you are absolutely invincible. And to, yeah. to be fair, our bodies in many ways are as far as the hormones and the, and the energy yeah. level and all the stuff that we're able to do, where like something breaks, you bounce right back. You know, it's it's right. really interesting. Uh, I wish someone would have told me like 18 is your peak, brother. Then it just starts going downhill from there. 
Yeah. Yeah. Once, once I went into my first heart failure thing, I realized I'm not invincible. It, it woke me up like that, but, but, you know, in the, when I was young, I, we could go out drinking the night, you know, night before get up for PT and, you know, I could still go and run a few miles and, you know, other people would be puking. I'd even puke sometimes, but Hey, I keep going. And now there's no way. Not a chance. Right. And you and if and and of course you could eat Taco Bell at three o'clock in the morning and you would just be yeah. like, eh, whatever. Yeah. Now you, you even now I just drive by Taco Bell and I get indigestion. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, I gain five pounds. Exactly. <laughs> back, back then I could eat it all day long. No problem. Oh, the metabolism. Oh God, I miss that metabolism, don't oh, you? <laughs> all right. So then I mean, so let's get into your near-death experience. What happened after that when, when you had that first, you know, that first incident, that first heart failure? Okay. Well, that first one, I didn't, I didn't see anything, you know, I, I did, I did end up getting intubated that one. Um, you know, they thought I was going to die. They really told my wife, he's not going to come back. And if he does come back, he's going to be a vegetable in the hospital until he dies. So they, they really were talking about end of life procedures and what, you know, what she wanted to do. And, you know, I, I was one of those people who I, I just don't like to give up. So don't pull the plug. You know, that's kind of my mentality. I, I just, until I naturally die, that's the way it's going to be. I don't care, you know, what, what the situation is like. So she didn't thankfully, you know, allow them to just kind of stop assisting me. But uh, I came back from that one and I actually recovered really quickly. I was out of the hospital in a week, which wow. the doctors were really surprised. And I, I wasn't out of the woods by any means, you know, I, they had put in a defibrillator and this defibrillator, it was, that was painful. They, they said that the, the power was like twice the, the amount of a police stun gun. And so, I mean, this thing was shocking me and it was, it was bad. The first time I got shocked, I was sleeping and I, you know, completely out. So I, my knees end up kind of buckling in half and my, my waist came forward and it hit my, my knees hit my face. And I ended wow. up getting like a busted up nose, bruised up face. I mean, my face was swollen. I looked horrible, but I thought somebody had, had hit me in with a baseball bat. That's what it felt like to me. So I was crawling around on my hands and knees looking through the house. I thought some, somebody had home invaded us and, right. and I was trying to find out where they were. And my wife was like, I think, you, I think you got shocked, you know? And so I was like a, the first reality check that I had that, I, you know, I'm not doing so well. And, you know, I had some checkups and they kept saying that, you know, my, um, I had extra beats. I had a lot of weird things going on with my heart. My, 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 uh, rhythms in my heart were completely off. So I was having like 70,000 beats, extra beats per, per day. And they said, you know, that's like running a couple marathons, you know, just constantly extra beats. But I, I would have runs of like ventricular tachycardia, which is just really fast heart rate. When I had that first heart failure, it was about 300 beats per minute. Oh my God. And I would shoot up pretty close to that on a regular basis in between the, the first heart event and, and then when I actually died in January. So this was August 26th of 2016 that I had that first one. And I ended up dying in January, January 16th of 2017. Okay. And so I was in and out of the hospital. I mean, I was like a frequent flyer on the, uh, the ambulance. They, the, the fire department paramedics, they knew, knew me by name and, you know, they were great. They came in, they cracked some jokes with me and tried to keep me calm, you know, uh, while all this was going on. And, but 
you know, it, it, it was getting to the point where it was getting so bad that I knew I wasn't going to make it very long. Right. So I, uh, on the January, on the January 16th one, I, I had just gotten out of the hospital in, in December, um, spent a little, you know, little about about a week, I think that time in the hospital. And um, I told him, I said, I'm not going to die here in the hospital. I want to go home and spend Christmas with my family. So I did. And, you know, I started to, to feel a little better. And then January 16th happened. They had made a diagnosis of what was really going on. They knew I had what's called sarcoidosis. And so that was eating away at my heart and, you know, all my other organs. Um, but then on January 16th, I started going to the ventricular tachycardia again, except this time it was just below the threshold for my device. So it wasn't shocking me. They brought me into the hospital and for seven hours, they were trying to get me stabilized and trying to you know, bring my heart rate down enough to where they could control it, but they, they couldn't do anything. Nothing was working. Um, they ended up feeling like they could move me to the ICU from the ER. They had a lot of people in there, so it was time to get me moving on. Once they transferred me from the ER bed to the ICU bed, I went into really high ventricular tachycardia. And so they were, you know, they brought in the crash team. They knew it was, you know, getting close to the time. So they had, you know, 20 people in this little ICU room and they were, they were shocking me. They, so they had me strapped down to the bed so they could, you know, shock me when they needed, but they were working on me. And I kind of felt like the, you know, the scarecrow from the wizard of Oz, when the, those flying monkeys come in, <laughs> in, yeah. in that dark woods, you know, cause everything got real dark and just, I, I had tunnel vision, you know, and I, I was really, really kind of just focused on, okay, I got to pray. I'm going to die here anytime. I could tell my body was given out. There was, there was nothing I had left to fight with. And so they were pulling my arms all over the place and doing different things, sticking me with IVs. And, you know, it was, it was really tough to, to even concentrate, but I, I had this crucifix sitting on the wall in the hospital room. And that was happened to be where my face was pointed. So I was able to focus on that. And I just said, Jesus, you know, I, I need your help because I'm not strong enough to get through this. This is where the, the, the mortality really came forefront for me that I, I realized this, this was it. And there was nothing I had left to be able to get through it. And so they started asking me a lot of questions about, you know, my family, my profession, things that I knew that they already had known because they'd been asking me it for the last seven hours, but they were really intent on it. And I knew that what they were trying to do is trying to keep me present with them. And so I just told them, I, I took everything in my, in my being to be able to say, I don't want to talk. You know, I just wanted them to, to be quiet, do their thing, but let me just focus on, on getting right with God because I was about to meet them. Mm -hmm. And so I, I closed my eyes and then I, I just said, God, I'm ready to go and, you know, take me whenever you want. And it wasn't long after that, that I, I felt my body like a shake and a pop in my body as if my, my soul burst forth from my body. And that's when I, I found myself in this dark tunnel or like a kind of like a, maybe a portal or something, but it was, I was looking off into space, you know, but it wasn't space. It was like this big, dark void, like a real vast, empty space, like outer space, you know, and it's vastness, but without the planets or, you know, any kind of light that, that, you know, like beams or anything like that. But I felt this, this rush of love come over me. And it was powerful. I mean, it was penetrating into my soul. It was palpable. It was something that I could actually feel entering into my soul. 
And, you know, as I'm staring at this dark void, it was really easy, I think, for, for me to, to have been content to just stay there and experience that, that love and, and do nothing, you know, and the dark void really wanted me to do that. It felt like it had its own presence, like its own type of, of personality or being to it. I didn't hear anything audible. Like when I, when I came into this place, every, every sound went off. So all that chaos in the hospital room immediately was dead silent. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. So this was more of like an intellectual conversations, you know, like an imprinting in my, in my soul, if you will. And so I'm looking at it and I said, well, this can't be it. You know, this can't not be all there is. I'm feeling this love. I knew that this, this wasn't all that there was just to sit there and just feel love from nothing and just go into oblivion. <laughs> right. So I, yeah, I, I realized as, as soon as I said that, that I was actually seeing into the dark. So there was light. And that's when I knew I could see in all directions. So I had three, 360 degree vision. I could see the dark void and I could see a light behind me. And this light was immense. I mean, it was so powerful. It was way brighter than the sun. So I, I turned towards the light and I actually made a real motion to turn. So I, I turned to the right and I, I turned around, but I was still seeing the dark void. So it wasn't like I lost vision of that, but I, I, I really took a real turn, which was interesting. And as soon as I, I was looking at the light, I said, I want to be with that light. And I was there and I didn't feel any wind or inertia or anything to give me the impression that I was, I was moving as quickly as I was, but, but I knew I had taken every step along the way and Imagine being able to see an indefinite amount. I, mean, I don't even know how to put a label on how far this, this light was from where I was at, but imagine. Light years, light years, if you will. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it, it's, it, that's exactly what we could say. It was an immense amount of space in between us, and it felt like it was no time at all to get there. But yet I had this vast memory of time that, you know, because it just doesn't really exist there. The time was so bizarre. It was so hard to wrap my head around that I couldn't tell, tell you if it was a second or a thousand years. You know, I, I just really didn't have a grasp of it, but it could have been both. And, you know, at the same time. And what's really crazy is that as soon as I had died, my intelligence grew vastly. So, I mean, it was just like, I was instantaneously flooded with this vast knowledge, like all my memories that I had throughout my life. And honestly, I felt like every memory of everyone or everything that ever existed was there at once. So like I had this vast knowledge of things that I had never even participated in. And it wasn't confusing. It wasn't like, you know, if, if I'm trying to think about what I had for breakfast and, you know, what we just talked about two seconds ago, that's, that takes a little bit of effort, takes something of my mind to actually focus on those things. This was much easier, except whatever I did focus on took the forefront. So I still had everything in like the periphery of my mind and I could still access it. But what I took the, a main interest on or focus on, that was what really predominated my, my focal point. But as I'm looking at this light, I'm realizing that, you know, this thing is huge. This light was bigger than, than the vast darkness that I had originally seen. And it went on, you know, to the left and to the right, and it went up and down. And it was just vast. 
And I, I'm looking at, and what's cool about my vision was that I was able to see my vision as it was kind of growing, you know, so I'm, I'm watching as I'm, you know, traveling, you know, a mile, two miles, 10 hundred miles, you know, just keep going, right? But I'm also seeing what, where I'm at at that point. I'm still looking at the light here. I'm looking in that direction. So I'm able to go in all the directions and watch my vision growing as it's going. So it was, again, there was nothing that was limited in that ability. Mm. And so I'm looking at this light and I, I said, you know, cause I knew it was God. I didn't, I didn't have to have God say, Hey, Brian, you know, this is me. You know? <laughs> it's God. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't see a body though, or a face, you know, it, but it, so, I mean, it, it could have been just his love or his being or his light. That was, that was what I was seeing, but I knew it was him. It was a representation of him in some way. He was actually interacting with me and he said that I could come into the light. So of course, you know, I'm, I'm going to definitely go into light. It was, it was like, I felt home for once, you know, and I, I often like to describe it as, you know, that movie Shawshank Redemption, where he has to escape through the, the sewer pipe. Mm-hmm. That's, that seemed like the grossest thing to me ever, just to go through, particularly through prisoners. I mean, if you've ever been in a prison and I worked there, so I, you know, there's some of them who are not that hygienic and, but it people's feces and, and all that, it's just not something I want to be part of. Mm-hmm. But, you know, he crawled through that to get, you know, to get to freedom. Get to the light. Yeah, I think I would have stayed in prison, to be honest with you. But <laughs> to go to be there in front of that light with that love, I would have stayed in there for eternity. You know, because that love was so powerful. I've never felt anything like that, where I had this, this actual love for who I am, not not what I present to the world, not, not anything not the else. mask, right? Yeah. Yeah. Not the mask. Exactly. It, it was that he loved me, the, the way that he made me the, the person that I really am. And I didn't lose all that, even though I was, I was completely submitted to, to God. I I've never been one to bow a knee to anybody. I'm a very strong willed person, but I was completely submissive to God. And it wasn't even like he was making me be, you know, it was huh. that, I was looking at him and realizing that he could squash me like, like a bug, not even a bug. I mean, a bug would have put up a better fight than I could have, but I, I was realizing that he loved me. And just because of that love, I wanted to give love back as much as I could. And I, I felt like I was home. Like I really belonged here. And so I'm, I'm in going into the light. And as I'm going in, it felt like his love was rushing into me even more. Like I was like a straw, you know, you drink from a straw and you, you're, you're taking in the fluid and it's, the straw is full, you know, as it's going from one end to the other, it's full, never, never goes empty. And that's how I felt. But like that love was coming out back, back into heaven. So it was regenerating, but I was never being depleted of, of that love. It was only growing. So the whole time I was in heaven, this was a consistent fact that I kept feeling more intensity of that love. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I believe that that's probably how it's going to be for eternity because it felt like God really was infinite and that his love is infinite. So that was going to be something that we were going to constantly feel at a, at a new higher level throughout eternity. That I just, I, it overwhelmed me with, with, with just this feeling of love back, you know, and right. all my other emotions were gone. You know, that fear that I had in the hospital room, gone. It was gone in a heartbeat. I had memories of things that I used to be resentful for, things that I was angry about. 
you know, the military for one thing, you know, it was like certain things that, you know, I just died. I, I I had those kind of emotions when I was dying, they were all gone. I had no negative emotions whatsoever. The only thing that was, was there emotionally was love, you know, and, and that was, that was really impressive to me because, you know, our brains are physical matter. So, our emotions are part of our physical being. That was that was non-existent there, and this was a, a spiritual thing. You know, this was this was real love, not not the love that we have on Earth with a price tag and and things <laughs> that we put on it. That you know, if you do this for me, then I'll give you love back. But as soon as you stop doing it, there's no more love. You know, and it that wasn't how it was. This was this was a pure kind of love. Did you, did you by any chance have a life review? I've heard many people have life reviews. Yeah. I, as soon as, so I'm walking through that light and I, I came, I said, I wanted to see Jesus. You know, I could feel that he was there. It was still, it was this feeling like what I had when I was praying at that, to that crucifix. And I had this, this intense feeling that he was there with me. Um, so I, I said, I wanted, I wanted to see Jesus. And as soon as I said that the, the light opened up into this, this other room. And this room was so big. It was much bigger than that dark void. It was, it was huge. And it was encompassed by the light. And there was like a green pinkish kind of uh, not really green and pink, like we would see, but it was, those were the closest kind of examples I can come up with, but it was this really intense color of the atmosphere and it was alive. It was moving. And it was, you know, that's where that was, the love was transporting into me through this, this atmosphere but there were a ton of beings in this room and all these beings were bright and shiny. They're just beautiful, sparkling light. And there was one in the middle that was obviously it was Jesus. I, I, I really didn't have to have him explain it to me, but he, I, I could feel his, his just beauty and his love, which was reflecting that of God. And so I, I looked at him and I said, I want to see your face because it was just this bright light. And it was as bright as the light that I had seen and that was covering, covering all of this room that we were in. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. And so as soon as I said that, his face came together. But what's interesting is that while I was seeing his face, I could only see, like lay down in my memory, that bright light and it it was like flashing this light into my eyes or into my memory but i could see his face with my eyes or whatever i had for eyes i didn't look at my body so i didn't have like a physical body but i did have some sort of a containment of my soul it wasn't like my soul wasn't oozing out all over the place <laughs> I, I did have some kind of like a a, a being so I, I think it was much like what i saw of the other beings just like I don't know how much mine was sparkling. To be honest with you, probably not like the rest of them. But I, uh, but it, but so when his face came together, it was kind of like those little uh, sketchbooks, you know, kind of like this, you know, where you, you have like a drawing on, mm-hmm. on a notepad and you kind of flip through it and you can see that the drawing move, right? Like an animation. Right? Yes, exactly. So that's what his face was, was like. I was bringing it in, but it wasn't laying down into my memory. So each page that was flipping was a new, a new imprint. It was like I didn't have an example to to draw upon. You know, if, if you see a dog, you know a dog has four legs usually, 
And so, you know, we see a dog and we say, oh, that's a dog. And we can, we can bring it to a previous memory that we've once had. Right. I wasn't able to draw on anything like that. So mm. this was all new, but I could keep that light. That light was so powerful. And so that's when we went into the life review. And it, you know, it was, it wasn't like it was just happening in this, you know, this kind of order. Everything was all at once, you know, like yeah. I said, with the time, it was, it, it was like it was already being done and then it was still being done at the same time, if that makes any kind of sense. It's yeah. hard to explain that what's going on on the other side, you know, with, with the limitations we have, you know, through our vocabulary and just our understanding here on earth. But so as, as we do it through this life review, I'm going through everything that I, that I did in my life. I mean, it was good, bad, and the ugly, right? And everything that I had done, I, I was seeing how it impacted Jesus during his passion. You know, all the things that he had to suffer throughout his life for me and how that impacted him. And, you know, the things that really got me were, were the things that I had done to other people, how I had hurt other people. That really was hurting me because I saw how that hurt God. I realized how much he loves every single one of us. You know, it's easy for us to say, well, there's no way God could love that person because they're doing this or that, you know, and that's not true. He still loves that person, despite the fact that they're doing this or that. He doesn't love this or that, but he, he loves that person. And for mm -hmm. me to, to, to not show them love, that was, that was what hurt Jesus and you know, that hurt me as I'm, I'm looking at that. And yet at the same time, he was healing me of, of my, my own, my own deficits that I had, you know, my, my shame, my, my distrust in myself, the attachments I had to certain things. He was healing me from all that, but every broken place that I had, he was, he was healing those, you know, the fact that I had just died man, he made that beautiful for me. That suffering no longer was suffering. He made that a joy. Somehow that my suffering and, you know, I, I thought I did a, a fairly decent job. I look at it now and I don't think I suffered as well as, as I, I could have, but, you know, I didn't complain a lot about it. I didn't, you know, I didn't try to make other people feel bad or, but it was, it was as if he, he was rewarding me for, for just honorably, suffering you know because let's face it in life we are all going to suffer it's mm -hmm. it's hard to live you know and it, whether you you lose your cell phone or whatever it just depends on how it affects a person you know but we all look at things we can say wow i wish this wasn't this way in my life and you know so we have to endure some of that stuff and that's 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 what we we can really gain graces from that because god's with us he he went through all that stuff he knows what it's like so he's, he's not absent from that suffering, but when we're there, he, he makes that beautiful. And that's where I, I really learned that, you know, the times that I could have maybe kept my mouth shut, not been so strong-willed, not been so prideful and arrogant, and maybe humble myself and not, not demand my way every single time. Those were the things, the opportunities that I missed that I could have done more for him. I could have suffered a little inconvenience by not you know, telling somebody off when they, when they made me upset. Right. I, you know, I could have, I could have just been peaceful and kind in every situation because it really didn't matter. It doesn't necessarily change somebody when you tell them off. In fact, it often entrenches them in their behavior even more because they've become defensive. But 
I learned that that that's not the way that God wants us to act. He wants us to, to be kind to each other, a, a true charity, to care about the good of another person, you know, to care about them enough to help them in getting to heaven themselves, even if that means just not saying anything at all. You know, sometimes we just have to, to swallow our pride. And so I'm going through all that. Oh, go ahead. No, no, it, it's it's very interesting that with with the the life review, I mean, I've had multiple people who've had near-death experiences on the show. So a lot of what you're saying rings true. It's, it's why I find it so fascinating from so many different people, from so many different walks of life, from different parts of the world, sim- have similar experiences, tweaks here and there. Um, right. It's not it's not exact, but um, from what I've heard from multiple people, that when you are in that life review, you feel the pain that you caused everybody and you feel it all at once um, and you feel it and it goes, it's not like it's a punishment. It's just kind of like, oh, you right. need to understand what you did and hopefully you've learned and, and now it's gone yeah. uh, kind of thing. And that life review, the, it's like the, uh, from what I've heard from others, it's like a panel of elders who are, you know, kind of sitting there helping you along. You know, that, that that's for sure. The, the other beings that were there, you know, they were all communicating too, but it wasn't, it wasn't, you know, distracting in any way. It was as if it was an open share of intellect that we just knew what everybody else was thinking, but, but it was all connected to Jesus. It was incredible to have that. But like you said, you know, that, that pain, that was the only pain that I really experienced, you know, was that emotionally anyway, was that, that what I done, had done to other people, mm. that really did. But it, like you said, it was gone like that because I, I was completely submitting to God. I, I knew, hey, that's not the way to be. That's not, I don't want to do that to other people. I, in fact, I want nothing to do with hurting other people. And so it was easy to get rid of it. You know, I, I do wonder though about other people who really hold on to it, you know, who are defiant and say, hey, I don't, I don't care about God. I. I want to squish people. I want to step on people because but, I'm more important. Yeah, that, but I don't think that happens on the other side. I think that happens here. Oh. Yeah, well, I, mean, I, I, I can't believe you'd be in that room or quote unquote that I space and, and you're in front of, you know, light beings and, and, and all this kind of stuff and you feel this love and you're like, you know what? Screw you guys. I'm going I back and I need some cash. I know. I know. I can't either. I, 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 I rack my head about it. I wonder if people really could be that defiant because it's, it's, you're looking at the ultimate beauty, the ultimate love, and it, it really opens you up to what's more important. I, I just don't know that people could. And, you know, there is no temptation there. You know, temptation here, my body is a temptation in and of itself. And so I, I you know, we don't have those temptations there. I mean, it seems like from what you're saying is that you basically have access to all knowledge uh, all at once. So it's basically like, you know, for a crude example, you basically have the internet in your head Yeah. with every piece of knowledge ever connected. You can pull whatever you need at will and it just comes to the forefront. So it's kind of like a hard drive, if you will, sure. but a, 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 a universal hard drive right. and you understand everything. You understand what's going on, everything at all at once. And that you can like in the life review, feel everything that you've done in your entire life all at once, which is so difficult for us to understand in a physical standpoint, because it's just something 
unrecognizable to us. But, you know, I've said this so many times on the show and I'll say it again because it, it just never, it's it's still a fun joke. It's like, I've never seen a her, I've never seen a U-Haul attached to a hearse. Like it's not, you can't bring it with you. You can't, you can't bring it with you. And I think that so many people, the sicknesses that we, and when I say sickness, I do truly be, believe that the, the constant need to grab more physical things is a sickness because at a certain point, you know, how many rooms do you need? How many houses do you need? How many cars do you need? How many paintings do you need? like at a certain point? We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. You get beyond like two bathrooms, three, 12, 15. Wh- wh- where are you going? Like, I, mean, I know I've known people who've lived in houses so big. They're like, Oh, I've never been in that room. Like, wow. At a certain point, you need to ask you, and they're still wanting more, and they're still trying to accumulate more. You know, where in in my point of view is like, I want to try to accumulate as much wealth as I can for the betterment of others, to yeah. be able to funnel that energy of money into organizations, charities, people, uh, work that we're trying to do, get the message, all that kind of. That's that's my goal. But at a certain point, you just have to just go got a house, got a, you know, nice neighborhood. I got food on my plate. I'm around people who love me at a certain point. Yeah. How many more tennis courts do you need? (laughs) No, absolutely. You hit it right on the head. You know, it was, it was like this, this level of detachment that I never would have thought I would be wanting to have in life. I was totally detached from everything, even my family, really. I love my family. It wasn't like that love went away. It was actually maximized, but it was this detachment from my need to control it. My need to, to gain more acceptance from my family, more love from them. You know, all the things that we chase after, like you just described it perfectly. People want to have all these things because they think once I get there, then I'll be happy. Once we get there, we know it's a truth that, well, okay, what's the next thing? I, I got this. Now I lose my interest in it. And I've got to replace it with something else because that hole that we're trying to fill can only be filled with God. And it's his love. It's his love that is actually the thing that we're craving. But we often don't don't recognize that because we get so caught up in the distractions of this life and our our attachments to things that we cannot control. And if you study, you know, the the masters, the spiritual masters of history, you know, whether it be Jesus or Buddha um, or Indian yogis, detachment is a core thing that they detach from the physical world. They detach from wanting and desiring things here. And it's all about love and being, you know, I mean, I've, I've studied some, some yogis who, uh, you know, who became ascended masters, spiritual masters, uh, where they, they literally just were in meditation so long. They didn't want to come out. They're like, I don't want to go back I don't want to deal with these, this, this stuff. Like they found, they find enlightenment. They find that connection to God. And when they find it, they just like, okay. And many of them do come back and they're like, okay, let me help the rest of you along, which is what obviously what Jesus did and what Buddha did and, and so many other um, spiritual masters along the way. But it is detachment is something that I think as you get older, you start to realize that. And that's another thing that so many people, don't think I think it's something that religion has put forth, which is that 
all of our our masters say you know the jesuses and the buddhas that they come in enlightened you know jesus was born and there was 30 years that no one really knew what was going on mm -hmm. then he showed up so what happened during like he was figuring stuff out he right. was going through like you have to as a as a, as a spiritual master go through live life, life live right. life experience life go through the the negatives and the positives to find that enlightenment to then share with the rest of the world and go down that path and it's it and that's i think as you get older you start to realize oh you know what i really don't really need the life-size hulk in the backyard anymore <laughs> yeah. Yeah. i mean it's cool um right. but i you know i may not can i take him with me no you know do i need that porsche no do i need right. you know like at a certain point you just like when the end comes you leave the same way you came yeah. alone <laughs> yeah I, I, absolutely you know, i was <laughs> I was totally alone. I didn't have anybody in the hospital with me. What? When I was actually dying, I that was the loneliest I've ever been because, you know, my family was still at home. I got taken in an ambulance. So it wasn't like I could get They didn't home. think it was the time yet. They didn't think it was. Well, they, it was at, late at night. My kids were sleeping. So we didn't want to wake them up to right. go to the hospital again. And, you know, right. and once I got in there, I was like, this is it. I'm, I, told my wife, I don't, I don't think I'm making it through this one. She's like, Oh, you're going to, you know, she was convinced that I was going to be fine. You know, I've made it through some right. really tough things, but when you're alone like that, you realize how insignificant all those things you accumulate really are. Absolutely. And the, the thing that I, I, I keep going back to is that, you know, they, that we always hear it's better to give than to receive, you know, and when you think about it, it actually really is when you get somebody that perfect gift, Oh no. Yeah. It warms your heart. Doesn't it? To know that, Hey, I can't wait for them to see it. Or when you give a homeless person some money and their, their, their tears come to their eyes because they they're so hungry that they're now going to have something to eat. I mean, I'd go wasted on, you know, on something stupid. And yet I can, I can provide that kind of happiness for somebody that that's something that just pulls them out of a hole that they're in. Did, do you ever hear the the experiment? I forgot if it was Harvard or, or Stanford or something like that. They did an experiment when they give 10 people, five people got a uh, hundred, they get 10 people, a hundred dollars. And five of the people like go off and buy whatever you want. And the other five, like you have to give it away. And they went out and they gave the hundred dollars away. And the people who gave the money away felt so yeah. much better than the people who went out and bought stuff. And that is something that's, physiologically inside of us the reason why we've survived as a species is because we share we organize together and it, it, we're programmed to feel better to give to share it is part of our physical you know bodies in order to do that in our mind we get rewarded endorphins when we share because right. as a as, as a species that's why we're the top of the of the food chain <laughs> Because yeah. we're able to, we're able to organize. We're not the strongest Organ. by any stretch. No, not at all. <laughs> not at all. You stand next to a gorilla. You, you figure that out real quick. <laughs> yeah, you know. <laughs> you, figure, you figure that out real quick. Yeah. But because of the ability to share, communicate, share ideas, um, and co coordinate our, our tribes, if you will, is the reason why we're able to survive today. But that idea of being able to give, man, it feels so much good. Like right now, every single time it's Christmas or my birthday, my kids hate me. Because they want to, they're like, what do you want? I'm like, get some underwear. I'm like, I, I think of like practical things. I'm like, I don't know, my underwear. So I, I probably should probably get some new underwear. I, I probably should get like, oh, you know what? Maybe I, I need that. I don't need anything. Anything I need, I buy. 
you know, like, so it's not like if some, and I don't really want anything like, I don't know, maybe, I don't know, maybe a new statue for my set of Buddha. Like, I mean, like I look, I'm like, and they're like, that's not, I know we want to get you something cool. I'm like, I, I don't want anything cool. Like if I'm beyond, I don't really care about that anymore. (laughs) So it's really difficult to buy me anything. That's cool though, isn't it? Because, you know, what, what really lasts? I I think what lasts is the good that I do in the world. It always has. When I look back on my memories, the things that I really like to look at are the things that I've done for other people. But the things that I bought are quickly replaced by the next thing I want to buy. And I have, I can't, for the life of me, think of anything that I really put a high value on and say, wow, I'm really glad I bought that thing. That sure was wonderful. That really enriched my life. You know, sure, things make our lives easier. They make it more convenient. There's nothing wrong with those things. But those things don't add value in the way to, to help our soul grow, to help us grow as right. a human being that's connected to other people. Because you really hit on something that's important is that we are connected, like it or not, we are all in this together. Yes. And when we're on the other side, all those people were connected through one source. It was all through God. It was all of us were together, but we were there together with God. And we had a like mind. We had a collective consciousness. We had this, this group think, if you will, but it was so pure and so loving, supportive of each other. It wasn't dog eat dog like we see here on earth. You know, and it's, and I think that is once, I'm hoping I'm, 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 I'm optimistic that we will slowly over the next 50, 100, 200, 300 years, we'll start moving towards a direction of understanding that we are all connected. We are all connected. And and if, if what's going on in the world today is not telling you how connected we are. I mean, mm-hmm. I've, I, you know, I've been here in, in Texas and man, it has been a hundred degrees plus for six weeks Wow. You know what I mean? Like I I'm from Florida. I, I I'm not afraid of heat, yeah. you know? And then I lived in the Valley in, in, in LA, which is another scorcher. Like literally it's like hell incarnate down there sometimes <laughs> during the summer. I mean, and you got hurricanes and, 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 you know, ice storms going on right now. And there's an ice storm going on right now that just happened yesterday. I saw on the news in Alberta, Canada, where really? the, the golf balls or the, or the softballs came in and destroyed, like people were injured. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. Now, like the world's gone crazy. So we're all connected. So what we do affects each other. And I think we're slowly, a little too slow, figuring that out, man. You know, so I hope that conversations like this hopefully yeah let's hope we speed wake things up. up speed up yeah. things a little bit man all right so we went off track so you're still on the other side you've gone yeah. through your life review so yeah. at what point do you say you know what i don't want all this love i need to go back to this pain down on earth yeah. <laughs> it, it didn't really happen like that you know it happened i mean it kind of did actually but it was part of that life review i was thinking about one of the this prayer i had when i was six years old i saw my great grandma died and all my aunts and uncles were all just distraught over it. And I said, I don't want to be like that. I don't want to be something that causes misery for all my family that I care about. So I prayed. And, you know, as a six-year-old, I, I was praying really devoutly. I mean, hard. Like, you know, God, please don't let me die early. It didn't cause everybody this pain. And I felt this warmth, this just 
you know, like he answered my prayer. I really felt like that. And I went to sleep. I didn't think of anything, didn't think of it ever again after that, until that life review. And, you know, as soon as I was thinking about that, he said, yeah, I remember that. And I answered it and it still stands. Like, I was like, wow, I get to go back, you know? And, but then he asked me, you know, why would you want to go back? And it wasn't like he was, you know, probing me, he was kind of probing me, but he wanted me to think about what would be the real reason to go back versus staying here and just being in, in love with him. And it wasn't like I wanted to go back to, for my own glory, or I wanted to go back to get a better place in heaven. It had nothing to do with that. Better place, like the penthouse. I like the penthouse in heaven. Yeah, well, I don't want to yeah. live in the projects in heaven. I'd yeah. rather live in the penthouse. In exactly. That's yeah. that wasn't even on my register, right? right. But but what I, I I started trying to think about, well, maybe my family needs me, and he was helping me to realize, no, your family. I care about your family more than you do. You know, he cares about all of us. So it really struck home to me how much he loves us, and. So I was like, wow, it's, I can't go think about just going back from my event, although that is a benefit I get to have, which, you know, it's, it's a wonderful thing, but that wasn't the reason. And when I came to it, it was, it was so obvious that I wanted to do more for him to, to share his love with other people, to live a life of love, to actually be love that represents God's love. And I'm not perfect. I'm not trying to say I run around and I'm hugging everybody. You know, I'm, I'm a faulty human being too, but I'm, I'm working on it because I know that love that he has for everybody else. And it helps me to look at people differently now. And that's what I really wanted to, to do. I knew that I had to go back and see people the way that he does to push aside all the things that I, I my judgments of people and to see the, the beautiful creation that he made. The, the loving soul that he wants to have communication with and, and have a relationship with and that I'm connected to. That's what he wants, wanted me to do. And I realized that was exactly what I wanted. I wanted to go back and do more for him. And during this time, he was telling me how I needed to pray more, you know, to, to be in that communication with him because I can't really do this on my own. I'm, I'm weak, you know? And so he was showing me that. And he was also showing me how to suffer joyfully how when I did go back that I was going to have more pain and it was going to be worse than it was when I, when I had died, I, you know, I had just died. So that's obviously going to add to it, but things weren't going to get better for a long time for me. And I'm still going to have struggles, but that doesn't mean my life is empty or meaningless. No matter where I'm at in life, it doesn't matter if I'm destitute, completely poor, that doesn't matter. I still have love and love is the only thing that matters. So he was showing me how to suffer joyfully and that's with love. And then he said, I, you know, I had to share his love. That was the thing that I had to go back to do. And that was the only thing of value that, that meant anything to me was to go back and share his love with others. And so that's when he said, okay, you, you can go back. And as soon as he said that, I was kind of like pushed out, you know, he's like, Hey, you got to go buddy. So I started to make my way back out the same way that I had come. And now I actually felt physical pain. Well, you started to feel it. You started to feel it. Yeah. Yeah. Like my soul felt some pain, like getting the further I got away from God, I felt this pain. And it wasn't like the pain that I got when I, when I got back to my body, I felt physical pain, you know, like, you know, with my body, this was something deep in my soul. And it, it doesn't hurt as much now, probably because the, the body somehow, you know, distorts all that, but 
as I snapped back into my body, you know, I saw my tunnel again when I when I got back through the light, you know, I had to go back that same way. But at the end of that tu the tunnel now, it was no longer that dark void. It was the hospital room. And it was from the viewpoint of looking out through my eyes if my eyes would have been open, but I could see what was going on and all the doctors and nurses around me. And so as I get back, I snapped into my body and I spontaneously revived and I kind of pop up as much as I could. And I, I told the doctor, I'm like, did I just die? And he, he had this look like he, I think they might've been calling it. I don't know, but they, they sure looked like he was just shocked like, beyond all yeah, shock. He was shock. He was, he had decided this guy's not coming back. We lost him because the look on his face was like, you know, kind of a, like that kind of a look. And so he, he came down a little bit closer to me. Like he wanted to, to really hear what I had to say. And so I, I said it again and he said, yeah, you just died, you know? And so I was just kind of in ecstasy. Like this really happened. I didn't believe in near death experiences. You know, I, you know, a psychology geek. So I, I believed in all the science and, you know, sure. only what we can prove and all that. And, this blew my mind away. The fact that my intelligence immediately went back to normal as soon as I snapped into my body, really, it, it woke me up because I didn't lose conscious thought. You know, I, I lost consciousness in my body, but my soul, my intellect, part of me that thinks was constantly going. I remembered my previous to my death, the suffering I was going through. I remember my death. I remember the entire time that I was in heaven. And then I remember coming back. All of that was continuous. And the only difference was I went from my low, my low intelligence to this vast intelligence back to my low intelligence. So, you, know, so you I, went I, from, from DOS to an apple and then you yeah. went back to DOS. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, you know, I wish God would have said, Hey, you're not going to have that this intelligence anymore. So get as much thing. I would have focused on a few other things while I was there. And so, you know, I don't know. I want to bring yeah. this back with me, <laughs> but yeah, I missed that opportunity. So, so I got to ask you, and I've asked this to other near deathers before, uh, how did the people around you, uh, you know, deal with the new you? Because you are obviously a different human being than you yeah. were when you, before the, the near death experience. So sometimes I've heard that, you know, even family, friends, spouses, parents, good friends, they start to, they can't understand who you are anymore. And you really can't understand who they are anymore. And you're just not on the same wavelength, if you will. Um, how did that do? How did that work for you? You know, it's, you're so right. I mean, there's so many, there's a, a, a variety of, of approaches to how I am. I mean, people have different viewpoints on it. And, you know, my wife, for instance, she, she's kind of disappointed in that I don't have the ambition that I used to have with my career. Right. I really want to help people. And so I, I want to go to places where, you know, it's, it's the underserved. So right now I'm, I'm working as much as I can, you know, still being disabled. I'm, I'm limited, you know, I still have autoimmune diseases and it's, it's still a struggle for me, but I, I do as much as I can. And I'm working with homeless, you know, and, and the homeless, they, they have a big need and it's not a glamorous job. There's not a lot of people who want to do it. I mean, that's why I got this, this weird screen on behind me because I'm in my office and it's a humble office. It's, it's not a beautiful thing that people would you know, be happy to see. But you're doing God's work, brother. Yes, yes, yes. And I, I feel good about it. And so, you know, some of those things are, are, you know, not really 
favorable to, to my wife, but she does like how easygoing I am, how caring I am. Right. The fact that, that even though I'm, I'm, I'm not having a good day, I'll feel sick or I'll be really tired. You know, I have chronic fatigue now, chronic pain. It, it's, it's kind of an annoyance, but I go out of my way to do stuff in my family because, you know, I'm kind of looking at things now as I'd rather burn out than rust out. I don't want to be sitting around doing nothing, waiting for something to happen. I'm going to just get in there and do it. And when my time is to go, that's up to God. So, he, you know, whatever that happens, I'd, I'd rather be doing something while he catches me and says, hey, it's time to come back. So I, I go out of my way to serve my family. I serve others. You know, I, I want to, to put other people's needs before my own, because like we had talked about, it, those things are, are of more value in heaven than, than all the riches I could accumulate. That's the stuff that you take with you. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. That's yeah, the, 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 that's the, and that's something that I've I've heard many times, and I've kind of understood, I've kind of really understand it as a truth, is that the things that you take with you are the memories, the the actions, the the kindness, the the service that you give to others. That is the luggage that you bring with you, yeah. not the house, not the car, not the pool, not the the private jet. None of that stuff, none of that stuff comes with you. Uh, it's the other things that come with you and bring you true joy to your soul. And at the end of the day, you got to just, you know, going back to that theme of, of what we do here, when you buy something, it might give you joy for a little bit. Sure. Yeah. Hey, you know, look, you know, when you buy a new TV, you can watch a show and you're like, oh, that looks pretty cool. But right. after, after a little bit, you're just like, okay, you know, you get a new car, smells great, driving around. But at a certain right. point, you're just trying to get to A to B, man. Yeah. You know, yeah, like it you're right. <laughs> you're so right about it. It's like, you know, I, there's nothing wrong with that new TV, right? I mean, it's hey, look, you got to get one every once in a while. The other yeah, ones are going to break, dude. you know, right. and if you're going to do it, get one right. And, you know, one thing I've realized in my life is that now when I buy stuff, like I had <laughs> dude, before, I had a 12 year old car before I just bought my new car like two years ago. And we're like, yeah, we just drive them until the wheels come off, you know? Yeah. So it's yeah. like, it's just like. I don't care. Like as long as long as it gets good gas mileage, I got a plug in. So I'm like, oh, it's great. I don't even have to worry about gas for the first 30 or 40 miles. So I'm like, I'm really, you know, that, that's all I care about. Like what's practical. Yeah. I don't care. You know, I don't care about having, you know, a $200,000 yeah. car. It makes no sense to me. I mean, I could do much, so much more good in the world with that extra money than buy a, a Lamborghini or something. Well, when you think about it, you know, that in who, which one of us would, would say, you know, I got a TV, an opportunity to buy this TV, but here's this person right in front of me that's going to die if I don't help them out with with some with some assistance. I, I would hope most of us would say, "I'm going to I'm going to help this person because I'm looking at them, I'm seeing them." But Get the reality is, yeah. those people exist. There are people in our own communities in America that this this land that's so affluent. We have so many luxuries. We I mean, we eat better than kings and queens in the Middle Ages. I mean, we get food from all over the world, but if we realize that there are people here who need help, I mean, I, I see them every day when I'm at work, but you can drive down just about any place in America now, and you're going to see people living, living homeless. There are people who you might not see them, but they don't have a couple spoons to share amongst their kids. They have to share one spoon, a, bun a bunch of kids. Right. You know? Why is it that we want to have so many more new TVs or all those rooms that, you know, people don't even go into, right? 
why, why do we want to have those things? And it's, I think a lot of it comes down to our pride that we feel like if I don't have these things, then I'm not living up to what I, I should be at. And that's a lie that, that we're told told by the world. The world tells us, you know, to keep accumulating, to be voracious in our, in our appetite towards accumulation of things. And those things, like we've already discussed it, is those, we can't bring those to the other side. But in my next life review, I want it to be all the good work that I have done. And, and it's not for glory for myself. I want to do it because I want to, I want to be able to show God's love and how much he loves other people to them. I want, I want to be that. You know, I was uh, I was uh, blessed enough to have uh, Neil Donald Walsh on the show, who uh, who wrote uh, Conversations with God, okay. and he was homeless for a year in his forties, early late forties, early fifties, and he gave me a perspective. There was a movie made about his life and everything, so I saw his movie, and it's a fantastic movie as well. But he he gave me a perspective on the homeless I really never understood before because I've never really sat down and had a deep conversation with someone who, who was homeless. And he's obviously a very spiritual person. And he's like, you've no idea what it's like to be out there and, and basically be at the whim of the kindness of others. He goes, wherever I go now, and he's a very wealthy man now, I mean, he sold millions and millions of copies of those books. And he goes, wherever I go, I always make sure to have a little extra coin in my pocket that if someone walks past me, Give them five, give them 10, give them 20, if you can give them and, and, and help them because you have no idea what that will mean to them right. for the day. You know, the other day I was driving around and there was a, there was a man asking for money and I, I gave him some cash and then he sat there and started talking to me about what happened to him in the, at the light, at the light, just started talking yeah. to me about what happened to his life. And he's like, man, you know, I just, you know, I got, I, I lost my job. I lost my house. You know, I've been living in my car. He goes, so it's not like someone who's just lazy or anything like that. Oh, he's like, right. he's the, he's, that's the, that's the, that's what we like to think, you know, the, the hobo yeah. with the, the stick and the, and the, yeah. and the thing from the, from the thirties. But right. he was telling me the story and, you know, I was so moved by his conversation and that 30 seconds that I drove over to um, Taco Bell and got him two giant burritos and, and a giant Coke. You know, just I'm like, I don't know what he wants or a giant water. I think it was not even Coke. I was trying to give him something healthy uh, yeah, <laughs> and yeah. something, you know, and I brought it back to him. And then whatever money I had left in my wallet, I put it inside the, the bag and I just gave it to him. And he's like, man, you've no idea. And he was so happy. He's like, man, I'm going to go over into that tree and eat it right now. And the thing is, too, that and I did this on purpose. I didn't give him the extra money in his hand. Because that would be kind of like, oh, I'm going to get love back for that. Yeah. I didn't care about that. I just like, yeah, right. I want him to open that bag and feel the surprise of like, yeah. oh my God, there's another $20 in here. Yeah. That it was just, it was a really interesting connection I had with that man. Right. It was and deep. It was a deep connection that day. And it does, and I don't forget it. So now I always have some cash in my pocket. And whatever, whatever bills I have, I generally just give to the families. Or if there's, you know, there was another day that we were at a donut shop here in Austin. Uh, it's considered the best donut in the, in the country. By the way, it really is the best donut I've ever had in my entire life. We were sitting there eating and it was closing time. And this lady just comes out and goes, hey, and nobody came for these dozen donuts. Do you guys want them? And I'm like, yeah, that was like two boxes of them, like 24 oh, wow. donuts. It was a lot of donuts. 
And we don't eat donuts. I mean, it was a special treat. So first thing my wife and I said, we're like, oh, well, let's go find somebody to give these to. And we just drove around until we found, we found two families with kids on sitting on the side of the road, begging for food and, and, and money. And we gave them this treat. It's yeah. not healthy, but man, can you imagine being a homeless kid no and getting a dozen donuts? That must have changed yeah. their their month. So yeah. these oh, are the absolutely. kind of these are the kind of things that you you think about differently when yeah. you're when you're trying to connect more to source, trying to connect more to God. Um, and and those are just a couple of stories. And and I hope that this conversation inspires others to do that, to not look at people that are homeless or they're in need as like, oh, get a job. Oh, I, I'm working. Why can't you? I'm like, you have no right. idea the right. circumstances. You and I both won lotteries, man. Yeah. In life, you Absolutely. know, I, I had a roof over my head most of my, not most, every day of my life. I had yeah. food on the, on the plate every day of my life. And yeah, I had rough times. And yeah, I almost went bankrupt. And yeah, but it never got to that point in my life. We won the lottery. We're here yeah. in America, the you know, you know, quote unquote, the richest country in the world. So we want a big lottery. So just because we want it, don't assume that others right. won that same lottery. You don't know what the trauma they've gone through. You don't know what kind of parents they had. You have no idea what they've gone through. So just be kind. Yeah. It's amazing what a, a simple smile can do to others. Oh, acknowledgement of their existence. Exactly. That's it. There's so many people out there who you don't know if they're just going through a divorce or they just had an argument with somebody you care about. There's a lot of things that people go through on a day-to-day basis and a simple smile, the acknowledgement of them as a human being and that you care about them, just, just enough to smile at them. That can really change a person's outlook. And maybe it makes them have a little bit more strength to go home and deal with that person who they've had that argument with. And you don't know the ripple effect on how you can help mold and change somebody else's, somebody else's life. I certainly saw how often I had hurt other people's lives. How I had done something either through actually doing it or failing to do something when I could have. And that effect that it had on those other people. I don't want to live like that ever again. Yeah, agreed, man. Agreed 110%. Now, I do want to ask you something about your book, uh, Sudden Death to, to Paradise. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. Uh, who's the author, man? Is it Brian? Is this this TS guy? Who is this? Yeah. <laughs> That's, it's me who's the author. However, you know, I used a pseudonym and I used it because I, I don't want to be a, that person I used to be where I pat myself on the back all the time and, you know, give myself this big ego like I wrote something that's so wonderful because all I did, I was a secretary. I wrote down what I experienced and I tried to keep it as pure to what I experienced. I didn't want to incorporate a lot of my own viewpoints, which I do sometimes in my interviews, you know, like I, I have an interpretation, I'm, I've got a mind and a rationale, so I'm going to interpret things. But my book, I really wanted to keep it more to what I saw and just try to keep it like that. Because, you know, I'm, I went back to my same intelligence, I didn't get to keep all that ability to, to really understand what I saw. So, you know, I wanted to be more pure with that, but I, I didn't want it to be about me. It's, this is mm-hmm. God's story. So I decided to use a pseudonym because, you know, it's it's just a way for me to kind of keep it. It's still mine, but it's still, you know, it's still giving more recognition to God. You know, to, 
Yeah, I get, I understand what you're saying, brother. And you know, it's it's really interesting that like you were saying that you never, never understand the uh, the ripple effect of of an action or a thing that you do in the world, uh, a smile or a, a kindness. Um, this is one of the reasons why I do my shows, is yeah. because this conversation you and I are having our perspective on this conversation with each other, but this then goes out into the world. And what it, the ripple effects of what this conversation can do for others is what my goal is. And is what my, my mission is, is to try to bring light and attention to these kind of conversations. So it can hopefully enlighten the world and speed things up a bit. Cause yeah. I, 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 you know, it's enough already. <laughs> and it would be, I mean, we can all recognize it would be better if we all did that for each other. Dude, if we just all meditated, life would be better. Yeah, like. <laughs> I know. It was, it's like, I've always had this rule that, you know, if I'm out grilling or something like that, I drop a piece of chicken on the ground. I'm the one who's getting that piece of chicken. That's, that's a principle I've always lived by because yeah. you know, I'm the one who did it. I'm going to have to just accept it. But now I'm looking at it as even if somebody else drops that piece of chicken, who, what's the big deal? I'll wash it off. I'll, I'll eat the piece of chicken. It's five second rule, brother. Five second. Yeah, rule. right. Exactly. <laughs> but, but why not just put myself behind other people? If everybody did that, we'd all be benefiting. If everybody said, I'm going to put somebody else ahead of me, instead of me always stepping first in line, we'd all be doing so much better in life because we'd all be taking care of each other. Just let somebody in in traffic. Start right. there. That's it. Exactly. Start there. Let them in. If yep. they start yelling and screaming, just go, just let them in. And that's where, that's the, the beginning of these kind of conversations. Right. Open the door for somebody. Let somebody else get in, in line in front of you. Are you that important that you can't wait another two minutes? Be kind. You see someone who needs help. You know, I saw an old lady the other day who needed help with her groceries. Help her with her groceries. Like these are simple, basic things really? that, that, that really we could do. Um, Brian, I'm going to ask you a few questions I ask all of my guests. Um, what is your definition of living a good life? Well, it's got to be living with love. I mean, that's when, it, when we've discussed this pretty in depth is, you know, I, I can't take anything else with me other than love. And, you know, I honestly, God is love. So if I can, if I can return love to the ultimate love by giving love here on earth, then I'm going to do that. That's, that's ultimately what I want to do. I, I just want to live my life full of love. Now, what is your mission in this life? <laughs> not to be repetitive, but it, it is that it's love. You know, I, I want to be able to, to, to put myself back, even if it's, it's something real insignificant, you know, people say, at, you know, Hey, what, what should we listen to? You guys pick it, go ahead. You know, I, I don't need to pick what, what we listen to, or if we're getting something at a restaurant or we want to go to a restaurant, you know what, whatever you guys want to go to, I've, I've had enough good meals in my life. I don't need to have everything my way. And, I found that, you know, doing those little things, they're, they're a sort of a suffering in and of itself because I'm, I'm allowing somebody else to have preference over me. But what I mm -hmm. found is it really enhances relationships with people because oh, yeah. people feel good. Like you value my opinion that much that you're going to let me take this, this precedence. And, and it changes things. I, I've, I've had an enriching relationship with just about everybody I come in contact with. And it's just simply by 
by taking myself out of the equation instead of saying, hey, you know what? I'm I'm Brian. You guys got to recognize and and give me my respect. <laughs> I, I don't even care anymore. And it's, it's not like I'm a doormat. I, I, I'm still not a doormat, but I I just, I just want to give to people. But have you noticed though, that you don't have to be a doormat because once oh, you start, do, when you start doing what you're saying, the energy of people that come near you or come towards you changes. Absolutely. It does. You know, I always tell, I, I've said this, I think I've told this story before. I had a cousin of mine who used to back in the day used to go club and he goes, man, every time I go into a club, I get into a fight. I go, dude, I go to clubs all the time. I never get into a fight. So maybe, just maybe, it's you. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. you bring the energy that you want yes, around you. you. So yes, the you more do. that you put out into the world, those are the kind of people that you attract. You're not going to attract the people who are going to abuse you. Take a, And if yeah. you do, by any stretch, run into them, you avoid them pretty quickly because you- You change them. It, you or, know, or you change them, exactly. It's amazing how we can all walk into a room and we know that person who's in a bad mood. We can pick them out like that. We oh. know who's negative. We, and we- You feel we, it. Yeah, we feel it, right? It penetrates into us. But it's amazing how, how sometimes just by continuing to be consistent with love, and kindness, how that person even changes. It's hard to, to abuse somebody who's who's not able to be abused. If you can't get a reaction out of somebody, they're not getting what they're used to getting and it changes them. They have to come with a different approach. You know, it's, it's, it's so easy to, to do, but yet it's hard because we have this pride that gets in our way and says, I should not be treated this way. And we, we wanna stand up for ourselves instead of saying, you know, I, I don't have to be the the, the rock that they beat themselves against. I can be water. I can be smooth and soft and I can encompass them with, with something more than, than this resistance. And, and it changes people. I'll tell you what, man, it was this little Indian guy who took down the entire British empire. Yeah. And all it was, was it, all it was is love, man. And, yeah. you know, if you ever watched that movie, Gandhi's movie, you know, there's that Great scene movie. where there's, there's an army and they're soldiers who are protecting something. And then there's just people who are walking towards them without violence. And these guys are hitting them over the head, falling. They're yeah. picking them up, going, and they just keep coming. Keep at a, back in line. Yeah. They keep getting back in line to keep getting beaten. So at a certain point, there is a humanity inside of the soldiers. Like, I, 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 I can't, I can't keep beating innocent. Like there's a certain thing even inside you to just like, I can't keep hurting. I can't keep doing this. And that's an extreme example of that. But at a certain point when you give, you don't give back, like if they go in there with their fists, oh, it's easy to fight against that. Absolutely. Oh, you can fight all day, months, years against that. Exactly. But at a certain point, you just go like, I can't, I can't keep doing this because that's the only way a man like Gandhi could have done it. He didn't have the strength. He didn't have an army. He, he wasn't oh. gladiator, you know, right. or, or Marcus Aurelius who had, you know, the, the, the yeah. hordes. He had to fight this way. And it was a fight, yeah. you know? And it's like, and like you say, you don't have to be a doormat. He had his principles. He had what he wanted. And he went out to fight for what he believed in right. without fighting, which is yeah. insane. And Jesus did the same thing. And Buddha, yeah. did, there's so many of, of the, these masters that we've studied over the years who've walked the earth, who, who none of them just sat down and, and just meditated in a, in, in a, in a cave. They went out and lived and, and lived amongst, and amongst helped lived. Right. And, and taught and, and went through trials and tribulations to go through this. So 
I want people listening to understand that that is what life is, regardless if you're spiritually enlightened or not, you're, you've got to go through all of this. I mean, I've studied some, some yogis who went through some very difficult times, even after they, they found quote unquote enlightenment in their lives and they had followers and things like that. They still went through things that they had to go through. Like, my God, why are you testing me this way? Like, ah, you're being tested. And, and trust me, uh, the tests keep coming, brother. (laughs) You know what? And that's kind of cool too, because, you know, that's, that's the way we know we're growing. I, I th- think if everything was always easy and, and, and contentment was, was what reigned in our life, we would never go anywhere. We would never grow and become a, a better person. Correct. Like with working out, if you don't do a few push-ups and feel that muscle strain, your muscles aren't going to get bigger and stronger. You know, mm-hmm. same thing with our, with our soul. Our soul has to be tested. It has to have a workout. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. And we, we're that workout for each other often. And why not use that to our advantage? If, if nothing else, if we're going to be selfish in life, be selfish in that way, that I'm going to grow by every interaction I come in contact with other yeah. people, that I'm going to let them help me grow into a better person because I'm going to treat them right. I'm going to treat them with love no matter what they give me. And, and honestly, you're going to find that life is better that way. I, I mean, you couldn't have said it better uh, at all, my friend. They, Brian, man, it has been an absolute pleasure and honor talking to you, man. Right. It has been, it's been a great, great conversation. And like I said before, I hope this conversation goes and inspires other people and, and really helps uh, helps the world out there. So uh, where can people find out more about you and get your book, sir? Well, they can uh, look, look me up on Facebook. I have a YouTube channel. It's under the TS Dismiss. It's called The Psychology of Heaven with TS Dismiss. Um, or you can email me if people want to email me. I'm open to, to answering emails, uh, tsdismiss at gmail.com. So <clears throat> those are our ways to, to get a hold of me. And my book, you, know, you can find it at bookstores or at Amazon. People tend to, to get it at Amazon, but I also have a website that they can get it from. But, you know, it's however you want to want to find it. And, you know, if people want autographed copies, which I don't know why you'd want it, but whatever, if you do, but contact you t- me at tsdismiss at gmail and I I'll definitely do that too. Well, I mean, I'll take that book with me, man. When I go to the other side, I'm like, hey, I got this autographed book. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I won't do you much good there, but you show some love. That'll be the thing that gets gets you some kudos in heaven. Listen, brother, I appreciate you so much, man. Thank you again for coming on the show, man. Yeah, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. I want to thank TS so much for sharing his story with all of us. If you want to get links to anything we spoke about in this episode, including how to get his book from sudden death to paradise, head over to the show notes at nextlevelsoul.com forward slash one zero seven. And if you've only been listening to this over podcast and you want to watch these amazing conversations, please subscribe to our YouTube channel at nextlevelsoul.com forward slash YouTube. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, trust the journey. It is here to teach you. I'll talk to you soon.